Hello, friends. This is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Uh, today, we're going to continue on talking about biblical archaeology. What is What does archaeology uh, have to show us about the historicity of the Bible? And, well, friends, if you hear a humming in the background, I apologize. It is my laptop. My laptop is, <laughs> it, it appears to be on the doorway of death. It is making all kinds of weird noises. Uh, I've been having a plethora of issues with this laptop uh, over the last, uh, well, about a week and a half now. In fact, I, I had an interview with Mike Gendron. Uh, scheduled last weekend, uh, the laptop refused to connect on Skype. I've just been having so many problems. In fact, uh, just right before pushing the record button today, uh, I've spent the last, not joking, hour and a half uh, deleting and reinstalling drivers for my sound card. Uh, I've just been having one problem after another. Uh, oddly enough, it wasn't until I started praying about it, <laughs> oh, it, it took me an hour and a half to realize maybe I should stop and pray. Uh, within about 30 seconds to a minute after praying, I had this thing fixed. But yes, I've been messing with this thing for about an hour and a half this morning. Um, about ready to pull out what little bit of hair I have left on my head. <laughs> but uh, anyway, while well, there's a quick little rabbit trail... Uh, Whatever the case, you might hear some funny sounds in the background. That is my laptop. Uh, I think it's time. The time has come for a new laptop. And uh, I know some secrets. I know secrets. And I think I have another laptop on the way in about two weeks. Sometime right around December 25th. What do you think, guys? Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. So uh, last week we talked about several uh, very fascinating things that have been found that, again, show that the Bible is true. There are so many secular scholars out there that utterly reject any possibility of the Bible being true. And at every turn, every corner, every little detail that the Bible uh, provides, they say, well, that couldn't be because this or that. For example, uh, Moses writing uh, the first five books of the Bible. Well, there was no writing during the time of Moses. Or how about this? Uh, the Bible says that there was wine in Egypt. Well, we know there was no wine in Egypt during the time of the Exodus. How about this one? The Bible says that uh, the Israelites were making bricks with straw and mud. Well, we know <laughs> that, that that is not the case because bricks made out of straw and mud back then, that didn't happen during the time of, of the Exodus. How about this one? There were camels in Egypt. Well, we know there was no camels in Egypt during that time. And on and on it goes. Uh, King David, he didn't exist. There was no King David. And, and King David is almost like one of those foundational characters in the Bible. If King David never existed, uh, friends, uh, the Bible is totally jacked. I mean, you can't go anywhere with the Bible without having a King David. I mean, at that point, you might as well just say, it, you know, if, if the Bible can't even get that right, uh, we can't trust it. All right. And so as we go here over and over and over, secular, uh, um, humanistic Historians, archaeologists, scholars, if you will, have rejected uh, details over and over throughout the scriptures. They, they latch on to any little detail 
and reject it. And no, this isn't an arbitrary process. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to give that impression. Although, um, obviously, <laughs> their view, worldview is skewed uh, against or away from the scriptures. And so, yes, any way, any way possible that they can um, poke holes in the historicity of the Bible, they're going to go for it. They're going to write about it. They're going to promote it. Sadly for them... And praise God, every time we dig in the dirt over in the Middle East, we seem to be knocking those objections down one by one. Uh, at this point, there does not appear to be any objections as far as archaeology, history goes uh, against the history, historicity of the Bible. Uh, they keep setting them up. And we keep knocking them down every time somebody goes and starts doing some archaeology over in Israel, over in the Middle East somewhere, they're finding stuff that just utterly disproves the secular scholar's point of view and proves once again that the Bible is correct. So today we're going to look at many more examples of just that. Let's go ahead and look at, for example, I mentioned uh, in the introduction that uh, uh, camels supposedly were never in Egypt. And so camels, uh, I made a mistake, uh, camels during the time of Abraham. And the reason why is there are no tomb paintings or reliefs that have been discovered that show uh, camels. But now, once again, uh, moving the clock forward, we do a little digging in the dirt, we do a little more research, and we start digging up various things. We find statuettes, figurines of camels, uh, plaques bearing representations of camels, uh, rock carvings, drawings, camel bones, camel skulls, and even camel hair ropes. And so... It turns out there was camels back during the time of Abraham. Uh, moving on, how about there was no writing during the time of Moses? There's no way that Moses could have written down uh, the first five books of the Bible, uh, couldn't, could not have written the Ten Commandments, could not have written down anything that we see, any of the laws, the 613 laws that we see there in, in Deuteronomy, none of it. It was said that that writing did not exist until about 500 years after the time of Moses. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, I, I see this as fitting into the whole evolutionary uh, paradigm. As we evolve, we become more human-like and we start gaining skills. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, there's supposedly... No writing until about 500 years after Moses. Wrong. Uh, that was proven wrong with flying colors uh, when uh, a great, li <coughs> great libraries were discovered in uh, the ruins of Ur in Iraq, demonstrating that we did have writing long before the time of Moses. In fact, long before the birth of Abraham. It's also been said uh, that there was no wine in Egypt. Why? Because there was no grapes. Now, for the most part, this comes from the Greek, the 5th century Greek historian uh, Herodotus. Uh, writing about the Egyptians, he says, as to their diet, 
It is as follows. They eat bread, making loaves of maize, which they call, oh boy, I'm going to mess this up, Celestis, and they eat habitually a wine, and they use habitually a wine made out of barley for vines they had not in their land. In other words, they had no grapevines. Critics latched on to that. Uh, and attack the Bible because the Bible does say that the Egyptians were uh, growing grapes and uh, drinking wine. Uh, in fact, we even have uh, that account of Joseph being in prison and he's there with the cupbearer and the cupbearer has that, that dream uh, that includes vines and grapes and wine. And so the critics have something to attack, once again trying to take down the Bible in any way they can. But unfortunately, sadly for the critics, uh, we have discovered now in many of the tombs uh, of those times, dating back to uh, the times of the Exodus, we find uh, paintings of viticulture, of the Egyptians dressing vines, cultivating uh, grapes, and making wine. And so moving on, Joshua chapter 6, verse 12. We're moving forward in time a little bit here. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing seven trumpets, trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went out continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with trumpets. And the second day they encompassed, they encompassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, encompassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they encompassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Even Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the cursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass with the people when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman and young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Critics have attacked this story, uh, saying that this uh, uh, a battle, this legendary battle, never took place. Now, uh, we have discovered the city of Jericho, and we've discovered a great many things that match the story that we find here in the Bible. Of course, uh, we don't have any writings saying that uh, a group of Israelites or, or Hebrews circled around the city and blew trumpets. Um, no, we don't see that account except for in the scriptures. But what we do see is this. 
we see that there is evidence that the walls collapsed uh, during the time that the city was destroyed. We find that the city was destroyed by fire. It was burnt down, which is what the Bible says happened. Uh, in fact, when uh, charcoal from this burnt down city of Jericho is carbon dated, uh, the C-14 date uh, is about 1410 B.C., give or take 40 years. Okay, so right around that time. Okay, fair enough. We also know that uh, this destruction of the city took place during harvest time. Well, how do we know that? Because all the grain, the storehouses were full. Uh, I think that's interesting too. Uh, during times of war and siege, um, what do the armies do? When they go inside the city, they take everything. I mean, seriously, it, you don't just leave food behind. It's not like nowadays where we've all got these massive storehouses of food. We can go to Walmart any time we, we want. You've got, when you've got a, an army of men and you take a city, especially a city like Jericho, um, big city, big walls, uh, you're going to go in there and you're going <laughs> to, you're going to eat among other things. I mean, you're going to do a great many things, but you're not just going to leave the food behind. The food was left behind. Just like the Bible said, don't touch it. Don't take it. Uh, another thing I think that's, that's interesting is uh, we also know that this happened very rapidly, this uh, siege. It wasn't a long siege like generally uh, you would expect. This happened very rapidly. Uh, and we know this because uh, even individual, um, uh, again, because the food storehouses were pretty much untouched. During long sieges, well, the food is depleted. People uh, cannot leave the city. They stay within the city walls, and the food supply just starts dwindling down. Um, makes sense, right? But no, the, the city's storehouses were, were relatively untouched. In other words, it happened pretty quick. Um, oddly enough, the silver, the gold, the bronze, it was all gone. Of course, I, I suppose you would expect that from just about any attack. Uh, but we do see evidence that uh, nothing else was taken. The idols, the pottery, and such. All right? Interesting. Uh, I, you know, I would love to get deeper on this one. I would love to have an expert who's actually spent time in Jericho uh, digging around, knows the subject very well, and come on and can come on this podcast and really expound expound on all of this. Uh, and I fully intend on doing just that someday. This series, a short short little series here with me, uh, rambling on about biblical archaeology. I am deliberately passing over some of the more fun, fascinating uh, discoveries that have been found. Because I want to bring in people who have actually been to these sites. Like I mentioned in the last podcast, Mount Sinai has been found. Uh, wowzers. I want, to, I want to get somebody on who's been there, has experienced it, has touched it, has studied it. Oh, man, that's going to be fun. Yeah, there are so many different places that I want to save for future podcasts where I can bring in experts, where we can really uh, get deep on it and uh, talk about these things. So, yes, uh, if you're wondering why some things I just kind of skip over, that's because I'm saving that for a later podcast. Uh, yeah, if you guys have any suggestions, please don't don't hesitate to write. You can catch me on Facebook and uh, or go to my website, hit the the uh, feedback 
form and write me there or get my email address and, and shoot me an email. Yeah, if you have a good suggestion on who I can interview on these subjects, please, by all means, go for it. So anyway, uh, you know, another thing that I have glossed over a little bit, and I guess I'd like your guys' input on this one as well. Genesis chapter 6 talks about how there were giants in the land in those days. And as we read through the scriptures, we find many different instances where uh, uh, biblical characters come against excessively, exceedingly tall people. Um, of course, we all know about Goliath. Uh, there's also Og, king of Bashan, uh, and so many others. Okay, We were like grasshoppers in the land, say the spies who spied out the land of Canaan. Um, in other words, uh, whoever lived there seemed to be pretty tall. Now, was that just speaking in hyperbole? Like, uh, well, they're kind of big there. They're tough. You know, that I, I think we're going to get whooped up on here. Or were they actually being serious in the sense of, whoa, those guys were really tall. Really, really tall. Obnoxiously, almost supernaturally tall. Uh, listen, friends, boy, you can really go off the deep end uh, with uh, these types of, um, well, investigations into giants. Uh, I do often frequent various podcasts and ministries who really go into in-depth in these areas because I think it's a fun rabbit trail. Having said that, I've, I've always been very reluctant to go down that road because, oh my goodness, can you go off the deep end? There are so many fringy, I mean, it just got, guys, wow, talk about sci-fi Christianity. It gets very fascinating, uh, but yeah, it can go very far to the point where you're thinking, wow, there's so much conjecture here. I, I don't even know where to begin, but okay, having said all that. Uh, the Bible does say that there were giants in the land. Critics, secular humanists, uh, archaeologists will say that there was no giants in the land. And you know what? Uh, you know, I think their objections hold a lot of weight. If there were no giants in the land, the Bible talks about some really tall guys. So either we have... A Bible contradiction going on here. We've got some kind of a scribal mistake where somebody wrote something down wrong and it got copied and copied and copied, which, guys, if you've ever listened to my series on uh, Bible contradictions, you'll know that uh, I don't agree with those theories about scribe errors. Obviously, they do happen, but do they get reproduced? Would God allow massive errors uh, to be reproduced over and over and over and then end up in his word. Um, I think that's doubtful. But the Bible does say that there were giants in the earth in those days. Now, you can frequent some websites and you can find all kinds of pictures of ginormous, uh, yeah, that's a real word, uh, skeletons that have been suppose, supposedly found. Uh, and many of these pictures, if not all of them, at least many of them, are Photoshop fakes and have been proven to be such. Um, in fact, uh, there's an article and a DVD done by a really good creation ministry. 
okay, that says, well, focuses on arguments creationists should not use. And one of the things, one of the roads they go down is you shouldn't talk about the giants. I love this ministry, uh, but I'm wondering if perhaps they might be wrong on this because there have been huge skeletons that have been discovered. Uh, and, and there's, well, there's much to talk about going down that road. There really is. I, I don't think it's an argument that you really should take the forefront. But if somebody challenges you and says, look, the Bible says there are giants and there clearly aren't giants, I think you should have an answer because there was. There was giants in the land. And we, yes, we have discovered a great many things that support that claim. Uh, would you guys be interested in a podcast where I explore that with a guest? I'm, I'm thinking about that, Sam. Just, I'm always reluctant to go down that road because I, uh, listen, some people will, well, there is the, the idea that there were giants in the Old Testament by some groups can be linked to a great many things, um, some of which I'm not going to wholeheartedly disagree with. Um, I just don't want to go down those roads. <laughs> I want to avoid those topics. I just want to show uh, that there were giants in the land, just like the Bible said. And I'm pondering bringing on a guest who really knows his stuff in this area, are you guys interested in that? Let me know, because I will put that at the top of the list and get somebody on shortly. Whatever the case, King David, critics say King David, never existed. He is a fictional character. This guy who the nation of Israel uh, bases so much of their history upon, you know, this man after God's own heart, this King David who really, you know, conquered the Philistines, brought the nation together, just an amazing uh, hero of the history uh, of Israel, of the Jews, really, was just a fake, a fraud, didn't happen. And up until 1993, there was not any evidence at all whatsoever to um, show that David was a real person. And so critics, secular scholars, came up with a theory that basically King David was an invention of the priests, the Jewish priests, to give the nation of Israel a little bit of dignity, a little bit of, of, of some, some national pride after they uh, escaped the Babylonian captivity. But he's nothing more than a piece of mythology, a piece of religious and political mythology. All that changed in 1993. Uh, an archaeologist working in northern Israel at Tel Dan noticed a, a glint of sunlight reflecting off of a rock wall. After investigating a little closer, he found that, uh, well, this, well, it's been named the Tel Dan inscription. And it is a victory stell that dates back to the 9th century B.C. Friends, that's right around the time of David. Uh, this stell contains 13 lines of text talking about uh, the victory of the king Hadad, Hadad over the city of Dan. Now, part of it makes the claim that the king of Israel was killed 
as well as somebody, and the name is not, you can't read it, but uh, somebody that is of the house of David. Bam! There you go. We have a victory cell coming from the time of King David, mentioning somebody from the house of David. Now, we have found more since then. Uh, another particular find, the probably mispronouncing this, but the Mesha stale. Mesha stale. Also dating back to the 9th century BC. Uh, this cell was discovered near the Dead Sea uh, in Jordan uh, in a place called Dibbon. Uh, this cell mentions uh, victories of Mesha, king of Moab, over Israel. It also has another reference to the house of David. I think what's also very interesting is uh, this Mesha stell also mentions the altar hearth of Yahweh. Now, this is actually, as far as we know, the earliest reference to the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, from ancient sources. Now, uh, a quick little rabbit trail. Uh, there is another find that dates back to around 1400 B.C. that also may have mentioned uh, Yahweh. This is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this is an inscription that was found inside uh, Amenhotep III's temple. Uh, oftentimes, within these temples, you'd have lists of people that they had conquered, uh, sometimes on pillars. And on one particular pillar, it mentions the Shasu of Yahweh. Shasu is a, a generic term for a nomadic or semi-nomadic people. In other words... Uh, it's mentioning a group of nomadic people who are of Yahweh. Some others have uh, interpreted it. Others have said that it could also mean the land of the nomads who worship Yahweh. Now, if that actually is, in fact, speaking of the Yahweh of the Bible, then that would be the oldest mention of Yahweh uh, that we've found so far. But whatever the case, sorry about that rabbit trail. I just thought it was kind of fascinating. So going back to King David, uh, of course, we found the city of David, right? And uh, so much has been discovered within uh, David's city, Jerusalem, some of which we'll, we'll talk about as we go on with this series. Uh, but just to gloss over, we found uh, Hezekiah's water tunnel. We found the Pool of Siloam. Uh, there's even an inscription there. We found uh, a place that we're pretty sure is the Palace of King David, uh, the Gihon the Spring. Uh, we've got uh, Pool Tower tombs, 10th century uh, B.C. retaining wall to David's palace, known as the Stepstone Structure. We have discovered over 50 of these, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, I've never heard anybody say this, but uh, boule, they're these stamps that are, uh, they're pressed into uh, uh, wax to make an impression. Now these stamps, these boule, were used uh, by officials working in Jerusalem during the 7th century B.C., now, most of them have been found right around King David's palace, in indicating the presence of an archive. 
Now, this just lends credence to the idea that this this is the the seat, the area where the central government presided. Okay, this is where the central government was located. Now, kind of a, a little rabbit trail on this idea of these seals, these impressions. We have found seals uh, that are associated with a great many different biblical characters. Check this out. Now, this is kind of a long list, but uh, very fascinating. Uh, we have found a seal that belonged to Jezebel. You know, the Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel, she fell out of a tower, splatted on the ground, and dogs ate her up. <laughs> You know, as a side note, and I've never looked into this, uh, I, I really don't know if this is in fact true, but I have heard that the name Jezebel actually means, oh boy, I hope I'm not completely wrong on this one, but I have heard uh, that it means where is the excrement, which I found, I, I think that if that is true, that is pretty funny because here we have this woman who really apparently was fairly beautiful. Uh, she ruled and reigned using that beauty and very manipulative and we have this instance where Jehu shouts up to these eunuchs who are up in a tower with Jezebel. And he says, who's with me? And the eunuchs toss Jezebel out the window. She hits the ground. And then the dogs eat her up. Now, where's she at now? Well, according to her name, where's the excrement? Where's she at? I need to vet that sometime. I, I've never looked into that. I'm just rambling now, but uh, I, I wonder. I wonder if that's actually true or not. Anyway, uh, we found her seal. We found uh, Abiah, the servant of Uzziah, Shebaniah, the servant of Uzziah. We found those seals. We found uh, a seal belonging to a servant of Jeroboam. We found a seal belonging to Ahaz, the son of Je uh, Jehotham, king of Judah. Uh, we found a seal belonging to Hezekiah, Ahaz, king of Judah, belonging to uh, Je Jehozerah, son of Hilkiah, servant of Hezekiah, um, Azariah, son of Jehoshaphat, servant of Hezekiah, uh, belonging to Domiah, the servant of Hezekiah, servant of Hezekiah, uh, belonging to Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, uh, belonging to Amariah, the son of Hananiah, servant of Hezekiah. Uh, belonging to Abdi, the servant of Hoshea. Hoshea. Uh, Shebna, servant of the king. We have uh, belonging to Manasseh, son of the king. Belonging to Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. Uh, belonging to Asayahu, servant of the king. Uh, belonging to Yehoser. Oh, I probably mispronounced that. Son of Yigdaliyahu. Uh, we have Azaliah, the son of Meshulam. Uh, we have Nathan Malek, servant of the king. Uh, belonging to Ahikam, son of Shephan. Uh, seal of Baruch, son of Neriah the scribe. Sariah, son of Neriah. <laughs> Malachi, son of the king. Hananiah, son of Azariah. We have Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Jeremiel, son of the king, Elishamas, servant of the king, Jehuchal, son of Shelemiah, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, seal of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, seal of Hanan, the son of Hilkiah, the priest, 
Uh, Jehoahaz, the son of the king. Jazaniah, servant of the king. And on and on. Uh, we found so many of these seals. Again, confirming what we find in the pages of scripture. Awesome, right? I mean, that is just amazing how many things we find that just support exactly what the Bible says. The Bible is real history. It is not a book filled with mythological tales. And I know it, it when you first come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, at least in my case, I had been pounded with this concept of, oh, it's just a book of stories, and it's got really good truths in it, but many of the stories didn't happen exactly as they're portrayed in the Bible. And I love this stuff. I love biblical archaeology. Suddenly you, you come to find out, wait a minute, no, every last single detail in there is absolutely 100% correct. All these stories, all these tales, all these characters, all these events actually happened. They actually happened. Some other civilizations that surrounded uh, the time of David, uh, the Philistines. Uh, Many critics, secular scholars, have doubted the existence of the Philistines. Uh, They gave the impression that they they felt like the Philistines were just another invention of the Israelites to try and glorify their past. You know, they conquered this huge race of uh, powerful military, again, to boost the pride of these Israelites who had escaped the Babylonian captivity. But now we have discovered uh, Philistine cities of Ashdod, uh, Ekron, Ashkelon, and more. Uh, Gath was unearthed. And now we know the Philistines were most certainly a real group. Okay, we found their cities. We also know that just like the Bible says, they were expert metal workers. Something else that has been uh, contested by critics. Uh, This has probably been mentioned in many apologetic-style archaeology podcasts, but uh, the Hittites, uh, for, for the longest time, people thought it was hilarious and scoffed at the idea that the Hittites even existed, that what the Bible says about them and their language even existed. Okay, this was another major, major argument that was used against the historicity of the Bible for the longest time. And now so much has been found to validate both the language and the people, the Hittites, uh, that I mean, you can't find any historian now that doubts the existence of Hittites. Uh, this is one of those great moments for biblical archaeology because, uh, really, I mean, it was just a point of contention, such such an issue that critics would laugh and scoff at the believers in the Bible because the Hittites, of course, the Hittites didn't exist, and now there is so much that we have found to. Vo- validate to show that the Hittites were not only a people but they had a language Uh, it's not even an issue anymore Uh, the city of Nineveh one of those cities that the city uh, that is kind of the focal point in the book of Jonah again critics thought it was nothing more than an an invention mythology just a story in the Bible Uh, we have found the city of Nineveh now uh, extensive excavations have taken place and are still taking place. Uh, Nineveh is no longer a myth. It is absolute fact. It has been found. 
In fact, uh, the British Museum in London has an entire section devoted to Nineveh. Uh, Something else I I mentioned earlier, I talked about Hezekiah's Hezekiah's Tunnel a little bit. Uh, I just mentioned it in passing. Uh, It is kind of a neat find. There is a tunnel that was dug from inside Jerusalem, inside the walls, all the way outside to the spring of Gihon. The Bible talks about how King Hezekiah had this tunnel uh, dug out uh, so that during a siege, he would be able to get water into Jerusalem without sending people out to get the water. It's actually kind of fascinating how they dug this thing. Uh, They had somebody from outside dig, dig from the pool of Gihon towards, you know, into uh, or, or inside the walls of Jerusalem. Meanwhile, they had somebody from the inside dig out, and they actually were able to get the two tunnels to meet in the center. Um, from what I understand, how they did this is they had somebody, uh, people on the surface, uh, hitting the ground uh, and making loud thumping noises so that people down below could continue to dig in the right direction, I think I'd want to be one of the guys making the thumping noises on the surface, right? Instead of somebody down in the tumble, tunnel with, a with what, a pick of some kind, digging away at the rock. <laughs> but uh, uh, many tours have gone down into Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can actually walk through there. Uh, pretty fascinating. I mean, when you just think about what civilizations have gone through in times past, you know, here we've got running water in our houses, and we have no concept of what it must have been like to be inside of the city walls and to be surrounded with, you know, huge armies that wanted to come into your city and kill everybody, right? And how do you get water at that point? How do you get food? Well, this was Hezekiah's solution to the water problem. Uh, very cool, fascinating. Now, Going back to uh, Nineveh here, and in relation to Hezekiah, uh, in Nineveh was discovered a, a, well, what is referred to as the Taylor Prism. This thing's about 15 inches tall, it has six sides, and it's just filled with with writing. And on this prism, uh, it describes King Sennacherib, he was kind of an interesting guy. He liked to snack on ribs. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> King Sennacherib and his invasion uh, into Judah. In fact, it mentions uh, King Hezekiah. It says that uh, King Hezekiah, king of Judah, was locked up like a bird in a cage. Uh, I think what's interesting here, too, is that... Uh, it doesn't mention that there was any victory in this battle. And, well, according to the Bible, there wasn't. Sennacherib never completed the siege. He never conquered Jerusalem. Uh, that came later. Also, a little noteworthy as well, in 1847, uh, the southwest palace of Sennacherib was discovered. Uh, it also had reliefs on its walls um, depicting battles, different battles and military victories. Uh, one of those was uh, some scenes of the siege of Lachish, uh, which is the battle right before uh, the siege of Jerusalem. Again, validating exactly what the Bible says. Uh, I guess I'll stop right there, guys. Again, archaeology 
continues to prove that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. It is correct. What The stories we find in the Bible are not made-up mythical stories. They're actually rooted in real history. These events, these events really did happen. Now, this series will continue. I might interject some different podcasts in between releasing these because I can see now where this series on archaeology could actually turn out to be fairly long, even with 45-minute podcasts. So, whatever the case, I, I may put a couple little, interject a few different podcasts in between these to break things up a little bit and keep it interesting. Uh, friends, again, I mentioned in the last podcast, and I want to mention this again, uh, coming up very rapidly in the month of January is the Contend 2015 uh, conference. This is put on by Worldview Weekend. Uh, guys, I, I can't endorse this enough. Uh, this is a free conference happening in uh, Collierville, Tennessee. It, it, go to the website www.contend2015.com. There's going to be some great speakers there. I, I really want to go. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it, but I really want to go. Uh, but again, it's free. It's an amazing worldview conference talking about various issues that if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to love this conference. Uh, it's intended for high school and college age youth. So this is like the perfect youth group opportunity. If you live anywhere near there, you should grab a bus and take up your whole youth group to this conference. But yeah, check it out. 20, contend2015.com. Guys, yeah, I can't endorse this enough. Anyway, I'll stop right there. Uh, I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.